The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Hi, welcome to the Permissible Suffocation email series. Hi, my name is Dr. Finney and I'm going to be your reader today. This is the audio version of the email message, Manage by the Hand of God. It was released on November 18, 2010. Managed by the hand of God brings forth a verse begging to be stated. And it is Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those that love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. Each of us should know that there is nothing that is allowed to happen to us that is not managed by the hand of God. Not one thing. The things that are allowed are to produce clarity of our reason for being on this defiled earth. And that is our daily calling. I have found the truest elements of Paul's statement and we know to be the most challenging. As a counselor of over 30 years, I have found this to be one of the most fought truths in the Bible. For at least true and devout Christians. I've shared this verse so many times with hurting people that it is embedded in my memory for eternity. But I myself find my flesh waging war with this simple proclamation of God. When we truly know something, it literally becomes a part of who we are. I was once of the habit of telling indwelt Christians to memorize this passage in order to make it true for them. Boy, was I wrong. Memorization does nothing more than create hypocrisy and guilt unless it is embraced through the power of the Holy Spirit. This brings me to my four points. And we know the truth of this verse is not proactive until it is actually experientially known. And then the term God causes. Well, he will orchestrate all things for the good but not necessarily for the good of everyone who reads this passage. The good being spoken of here is sustainably conditional. Those who love God, well that phrase is significant. It is only for those who love God. This passage does not apply to those who do not love God. The evidence of our true love is through obedience. His purpose is another phrase that we need to embrace closely. This conditional guide is all-conclusive. This allotment of trials in one's life are fruitless unless they are directly benefiting the higher calling of God. The emphasis of this verse is not on the human but rather on the importance of God himself and the calling that he has placed upon the true believer and I do emphasize true believer when we accept the choosing of God and become born again we become lovers of God and partakers of his higher calling when we use this passage like a comfort band-aid it becomes irrelevant We earth dwellers classically make the scriptures all about us. Oftentimes, as humans, 
Our world becomes as large as our pain and suffering. Even though God understands this, for he did create us, he is still obligated to break us of this habit. Everything is for his divine purpose. We are mere tools for his service. Favored tools for certain, but still just tools. This is why we are called bond servants of Christ. All of our joys, pains, and sufferings are for his benefit. After Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth, well, that's right from Job chapter 3, verse 1. In the presence of his friends, Job concludes his sufferings with, Cursed is the day of his birth. In fact, the next 25 verses are filled with his self-evident sentiments. Was it appropriate for him to come down on himself to this measure? Did Job have a self-esteem problem? Was he feeling sorry for himself? Or was he in his deplorable state connecting with God's reality? Job was being more real with God's reality than most humans who have ever walked the face of the earth. For all of our readers, who are in the nasty habit of being lovers of themselves, these following 25 verses in this chapter are going to be offensive at best. Allow me to quote for you a few New Testament passages. Galatians 6.3 For if anyone thinks he's something... When he's nothing, he deceives himself. Philippians 2.3 Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility in mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. 1 Timothy 4.4 For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. 1 Corinthians 2.2 For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 4, 4 For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. And that is Second Corinthians 12.11. All of these passages are extremely powerful, but I want to emphasize 2 Corinthians 12.11 and Galatians 6.3. Job was demonstrating the truth of God's conclusions to man. God clearly reminds us throughout the scriptures that we are nothing and we are nobodies. When we as God's divine creation begin to think that we're something, we start demanding the treatment of a self-indulged, spoiled child. Job was concluding the reality of our New Testament scriptures. Even though his writings were the first recorded by the pen of man, yes, chronologically the book of Job was the first to be written. 
God started his earthly writings with the humility of nothingness. And in the book of Revelation, he finishes with it. For just the sake of irony, I want to take Paul's statement and his conclusion of himself and actually read it to you opposite of what it says in the Bible. Because I believe this is what is in the emergent church of today in our postmodern culture. For when I think I'm nothing, when I'm really something, I deceive myself. Let me say it again. And remember, this is opposite of the way it's actually said. For when I think I'm nothing, when in reality I am something, I deceive myself. This, reader, is the most dangerous worldly teaching in the church today. Psychobabble has entered the back doors, okay, the front doors, of our churches. This feel-good gospel teaches people to love themselves and to establish boundaries between those who teach a different kind of gospel. This feel-good gospel is not what I have or find uh, written in the Word of God. God is clear regarding the truth of man's pride of thinking more highly of himself than he ought. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, But I... But I have nothing, but, excuse me, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Self-reliance or self-love is a living, inactive, foundational lie at the base of the emergent lukewarm church of our postmodern world. If you don't believe me, read John 12:25. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. I'm going to read that again. One of the most profound verses that is ignored because it uses the term love and hate opposite of what the church teaches. He who loves his life will lose it, He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Jesus could not make it any clearer to us. If postmodern Christians are duped into loving themselves, they will end up losing by missing the true gospel of Jesus Christ. On the other hand, those that understand what what it means to hate their own lives will find eternal life. I know this is in direct contradiction to almost every self-help Christian book on the market today, but it is the truth. I have no problem with saying I hate myself or my flesh. Neither did Job, and nor should you. It is a healthy perspective in light of the frailties of man. Believing this does not erase the importance of being a child of God or the bride of Christ. It brings proper perspective to the act of grace the groom had to perform on the cross. The word shows me that I continue to do the things that are not in line with who I am in Christ. Paul goes on to say that sin continues to dwell in me, even though it is not me. Romans 7, 15-17 says, 
For what I am doing I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. This is the conclusion of Job in, in chapter 3. He stated the exact same thing in a Hebrew fashion. Job's friends may have been ready to pounce on him with chapters of worldly fables of Job feeling sorry for himself, but God knew exactly what he was expressing. Allow me to do some bullet points of chapter 3 of Job. When we were suffering permissible suffocation, we are prompted to curse something or somebody. Job was not about to curse God. In his rightful mind, he put things into perspective by placing the curse on the day of his birth. He concluded there should not be joy shouted over the day he was conceived. He was reckoning that no life brings joy except for the life of his God. Therefore, he was not about to rob God of his glory in his allotment of permissible suffering. Behind this despair was a reality check of who is the who in all things, even the sufferings of his mortal being. His confession brings Paul's words to life. He who thinks he's something when he's nothing deceives himself. In verse 11, he questioned the mission of his own life. Why did I not die at birth, come forth from my mother's womb? All of mankind must sooner or later embrace the purpose of all things working together for the good and for our calling on earth. Job was right in the middle of processing one of the most important reasons for his existence. In this passage, he confessed to the full humanness of his earthly soul. God set the stage for a life lesson that will be preached for all eternity. The book of Job is one of the most preached books when it comes to the topic of suffering. Most of the teachings I have heard or read typically are candy-coated with emphasis, uh, with the emphasis being placed on humans, not the upward calling or purposes of God. Contained within the original meaning of Job's sufferings, we find the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The afflictions brought on Job are similar to the afflictions he, Satan, is allowed to bring upon Jesus Christ during his time on earth. Not once did you hear or see Jesus turning his focus to human suffering. Rather, he consistently turned his father, turned to his father to gain strength to endure the permissible sufferings allotted by God. There was one occasion where he asked the father to allow this cup to pass before him, but concluded rather quickly with, I will be done. Job, too, was in the same garden, being positioned 
to shift his focus from Job's will being done to that of his loving father. In verse 20, Job asks the question, Why is light given to him who suffers, and life to bitter soul, who long for death, but there is none, and dig it up more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice grace greatly, and exult when they find the grave? I don't know if you've ever been in such a suffering position that you were begging for death. I have. When you're there, only one question is begging to be asked. Why? The light of God's life and message is found in these moments. The light of his gospel is best preached when darkness covers us like the grave. It is the clearest, brightest, and easiest to see during these dark, despairing moments. Job was about to discover this. In verse 23 of this chapter, Job's human interpretation of the hedge appeared to be negative and restraining. I'm not sure if he was fully aware at the time that this hedge was still protecting him. The reason Job was wondering why he was still alive, or was alive from birth, was because of God's holy hedge of protection. God's permissible measurement of affliction is still within the hedge. Remember God said to Satan, All that he has is in your hands, but do not take his life. That's from Job 2.6. It appears Job hadn't realized it yet. But God was continuing to show acts of mercy and love by sparing his life. In the last chapter of Job, we are given the reasons why. Job said, For what I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. This was not a proclamation of self-fulfilling prophecy, as many people seem to think. It was a reality statement of how he was feeling. Did he feel that he could lose all that he had in his years of prosperity? I hope so. God gives and he takes away. He just wanted Job to know that he came into this world with nothing and thus would be leaving with nothing. He brought Job to a point of repenting from dust to ashes, birth to death. Regarding the expectations of man. If you've read on, you know that is exactly what happens. And then finally, in verse 26, he states, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. And I'm not at rest, but turmoil comes. This is the heart of Job's life lesson. Being at rest, not being anxious for anything, but in everything, letting his request be made known to God. That's also found in Philippians 4.6. In conclusion of Job's honest appraisal, he knew that he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. And remember, that's in John 12.25. It is after this life change confession that Job had to endure the most difficult part of his journey of suffering, the emergent counsel of his friends. Job being at the lowest point of his existence would even make things worse. His honest confession before these brothers, I do put that in quotes, 
was used as a weapon to rub his face into his, the ashes of his demise. You've been listening to Permissible Suffocation email series. This particular uh, email is from Job chapter 3. The title of this message was called Managed by the Hand of God. If you're interested in receiving the actual emails of this series or any of this series that IOM America uh, puts forth to the internet, uh, log on to our website. And the gentleman that follows me up here will give you the information on how to contact us. But we are thankful that you joined us and thank you for allowing me to read this email to you. Bye for now. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.